Welcome to Come and Reason with Christian psychiatrist and author Dr. Tim Jennings. Together we will reason through complex issues to find evidence-based answers that harmonize scripture, science, and our life experiences. I'm your Come and Reason host, Charles Mills. You know how when you've experienced a good night's rest, your body feels great the next day? You have energy, vitality, and a whole new ability to drive yourself through the hours. Well, it seems that same type of transformation happens in your brain as well. Proper amounts of sleep and rest help in ways that are becoming more and more apparent these days. Dr. Jennings, what do we need to know about rest and our brains? Many people don't realize there are four physical requirements to life and health. Mm. The first three most people get air water, food, but the fourth one is sleep. And many people miss that one, and they think that they can negotiate with it or get less than the body needs without consequence, but that's really not true. Now, when you say less than the body needs, does that change from body to body? Do I need more or less than you do, for instance? There can be you know, 60 to 90 minutes of sleep per night variability from person to person, but uh, not extreme differences, no. The adult brain needs about seven to eight hours of sleep a night. Could there be a person that maybe does fine on six and a half hours? Possibly, but that's not really true for the vast majority of people. Over nine hours of sleep, people don't do as well either. They're not as productive. The brain overproduces certain neurotransmitters. It makes you more lethargic and less energetic. So the brain needs about seven to eight hours of sleep a night, an adult brain. Obviously, infant brains, children brains, adolescent brains, they need more sleep. And there's reasons for that. Now, I can see why we would need sleep for our bodies. Our muscles are working all the time. Our bones are bending and unbending. Our stomach is digesting. The brain just sits there. What do we, what do we need sleep for our brain that doesn't do anything but just think? The brain is 2 to 3% of the body weight, mm-hmm. but it uses 20% of the body's energy. Wow. So the brain is highly metabolic, burning lots of fuel. And burning fuel, there's byproducts or waste products of metabolism that build up. During sleep, the brain cells actually contract and expel out of the inside of the neurons into the cerebral spinal fluid the byproducts of metabolism to be cleared out of the brain during our sleep. This is one of the benefits of sleep. If we're chronically sleep-deprived, then we don't give the brain the time it needs to clear these byproducts, and over the years, they build up, increasing oxidative stress on the brain, and that can accelerate aging and increase your risk of dementia. All right, I, I get it. So in other words, it's time to take out the trash every night on the brain. Now, I know you enough to know that you are a very busy person and you have a lot of people to worry about and a lot of things to worry about. You're running a ministry, you're running a practice, you're running around the world, giving your seminars and everything. How is it possible for someone that busy to get enough sleep? Because I know for me, if I'm worried about something or if I'm facing something, a challenge or somewhat, it's hard for me to get the rest I need. How do you sleep when you're, when you're you, Dr. Jennings? Well, I just understand that there are certain requirements, and so I have a bedtime and I have a get-up time, and okay. I go to bed pretty much within the 60-minute window every night and get up within the 60-minute window every day. So I get seven and a half hours of sleep almost every night. Obviously, when you travel major time zones. Yes. 
there's going to be disruption until you settle in again. That's normal for anyone. But in the routines, this is one of the things people really need to do is they need to establish certain routines or schedules for their life and realize just like breathing, water, food, or things you need every day, you need that sleep. Now, one of the things I've discovered, though, is that many people don't understand what normal sleep is. Mm-hmm. And, and I think I'd like to tell them what normal sleep is. Well, yeah, normal sleep. I, I think we can all say we know what abnormal sleep is. What is normal sleep? Well, many people think normal sleep is you go to sleep at a certain time, you sleep seven to eight hours solid, and then you wake up eight hours later, and they think that's normal sleep. That is not normal sleep. No human brain sleeps like that. Normal sleep is you enter a very light stage, which is stage one. Then you go into a a slow-wave sleep where your body temperature falls and your heart rate falls. That's followed by rapid eye movement sleep or REM sleep. That's where you do your dreaming, Mm -hmm. and then you wake up. And then back into stage one, the light sleep, deep sleep, REM, wake up. All night long, you're going through these cycles. And from the time you enter stage one until the time you exit, REM is anywhere between 70 and 110 minutes. So if you're waking up in the night, for someone we're young, those wake-up periods are very short. A few seconds, shift, turn to the bed, and we have amnesia for them. So we think we've been sleeping all night long, but we actually had a brief wake-up period. When we get older, you know, we get a bladder call to the bathroom, or, or we wake up and we remember waking up, and now we start thinking we're not sleeping good. And people begin to worry, I'm not sleeping, I'm not sleeping through the night, I'm waking up two or three times a night now. You're always waking up two or three times a night. Okay. Oh, very good. But but the worry causes stress, and people start thinking, I need to medicate that. And then they go to get over-the-counter medications or prescription medications, and many of the medications prescribed for sleep actually cause memory problems. Whoa, whoa, whoa. A medication for sleep causes memory problems? How does that work? So there's different types of medications for sleep. The -the over-the-counter medicines often have something called diphenhydramine or Benadryl in it, and that medicine has, instead of just being an antihistamine that blocks histamine and makes you're sleepy, it also has another effect, blocking acetylcholine, and that's the uh, neurotransmitter that is one of the targets for treating Alzheimer's disease. So as we lose acetylcholine, we have a hard time retaining memories or, or forming new memories or accessing our memories. And so chronic use of these over-the-counter sleep medicines can cause an artificial or magnify the loss of acetylcholine, causing memory cognitive problems. The other aspect is memory consolidates in sleep. So if you're learning something, it goes into a certain part of your brain called the hippocampus. If you're learning something, studying something, listening to this program, trying to remember something, it's gone into a part of your brain called the hippocampus. Today, right now, short-term memory. As you sleep tonight, it's during sleep, these memories get transferred and solidified into other brain regions. Other medicines that are prescribed by doctors called benzodiazepines, things like Ambien's and, and that family of medicines, they chemically interfere with that memory transfer, so we lose memory. And, and many people know, it's well known, that if you take an Ambien and then try to do something while it's right. very active, you often don't even remember the things you did while you were awake still. So this is a well-known phenomenon of these medicines, and, and people pursue them because they artificially or falsely think they're not getting good sleep. Okay, we've learned so far that normal sleep is not just simply linear. It happens in little jits and pieces there, and I, I like that fact. When you wake up, you think you haven't been sleeping, but you probably have been sleeping. Let's talk about going to sleep. A lot of people, and I know this is my problem from time to time, have a hard time getting there to begin with. How do we, do we count sheep? What do we do to get to sleep at night? Yes. So and just to follow up on what we said, and I'll answer your question, um, people need five of those episodes a night, total about seven and a half hours of sleep. Okay. So if you're waking up several times a night on your own, there's no negative consequence, don't need to medicate it. Now, going to sleep. Question about going to sleep. First thing you want to make sure that there's not things interfering with that. Are you taking stimulants? For instance, are you a heavy caffeine user? Now, 
a couple of cups of coffee, there's actually evidence that that can actually be healthy for the brain as long as it doesn't interfere with sleep. If you drink a cup of coffee or two in the morning and you sleep normally with no problems, okay. But if you're having trouble sleeping, and many people really don't want to believe me on this because they, well, I've been drinking two cups of coffee a day since I was 19, and now, and I've never bothered me, and now they're coming to see me at 55, 65, having trouble sleeping. What they forget is that your body metabolism changes, your kidney functions change, your ability to clear things change. And so while you might have been able to sleep good at 20, 25, 35 with two cups of coffee, it's possible that that now is interfering with sleep. So the first thing you want to do is identify any potential stimulants that would interfere with normal ability to sleep and get those out of your system. Mm-hmm. Then you want to look and see if there's environmental things interfering with sleep. I actually had patients come to see me. I can't sleep, can't sleep. And we take a history. They've got a 120-pound dog that's jumping in and out of the bed with them all night. <laughs> okay. And I say, well, get the dog out of the room. They go, well, but he'll, he'll bark then, and I don't want him to bark. And uh, they want me to medicate them. No, you've got to deal with that environmental problem. Yeah. Sometimes it's the temperature or light. The data shows if you have significant lights on in the room, mm-hmm. you don't get normal and restorative sleep. Mm-hmm. So you want really a dark room when you sleep. Uh, so all those types of environmental things. And then there are people who have life stressors, they have real responsibilities, and as they lay down at night, they begin thinking of all the things they've got to do tomorrow, mm. all the things they don't want to forget because they're really important. So they're trying to, to, to stay alert, to hold on to that stuff so they won't forget it, so they'll remember to do it tomorrow. Very simple little intervention. Get a notepad and paper and put it right by your bed. And as you lay down at night and you go, oh, yeah, don't forget to do this, you reach over and you write it on that paper. And then you don't have to hold on to it anymore. You can let your mind go to sleep because it'll be on that paper when you wake up. All right, very good. We're talking with Dr. Tim Jennings. He is the author of many books, and sleep is an important part of some of those books. We'll talk about them in in future programs. Dr. Jennings, the Bible is filled with references for rest. We need to rest. Rest in the Lord, my, my rest I give you, etc., etc. What is Christ talking about when he talks about the rest that we need? Is it sleep? So this is a really another important point you're bringing up here. When I teach people, I teach people about how God created reality to work, what I call design laws, laws of health, laws of physics, and so forth. One of those is the law of exertion. If you want something to get stronger, you must exercise it, because if you don't use it, you lose it. But the corollary to that is, as a finite being, once we expend a resource we must rest and recover before we have more to expend. So the physical exercise of the things we do all day, that is restored when we sleep at night. However, we have mental expenditures of mental energy and stress, and so God has prescribed for us one day in seven to come aside and set aside the burdens and the cares of life and to rest and not carry all the work and the schoolwork and the housework and all the things you're keeping track of. It's like a vacation in time every seven days that you can actually take off and put those things aside and rest. People who take that weekly sabbatical uh, and rest their minds each week, have lower cortisol levels, lower stress levels. They live longer, significantly longer, less health problems, physiologically healthier, typically better relationships because they're less worried and stressed. So there's a real physiological benefit of taking this rest for your mind. I would assume then that it's important that when we do rest on that Sabbath rest, when we do worship, 
that we have a pretty good handle on who it is we're worshiping. How does that affect our ability well, to you rest? you slipped something in there now. You said rest and you slipped in worship. Okay. You know, this mental rest certainly can and does and is benefited if we worship a God of love. But if you take this Sabbath rest and what you worship is an authoritarian God who has a rule that says, I've created a law and this is my day, and if you don't rest on my day, then I'm required to put a demerit in my heavenly ledger, and one day I'm going to have to punish you for breaking my law, then what happens is you may take that day off from your work, but you actually get no benefit from it, because you're now stressed, you're anxious, you're worried, you're doing this under a sense of obligation. And this is why in the Bible, Isaiah, God says that you must call the Sabbath a delight. If you don't actually have a joy in the Sabbath, if it's not something you're doing out of a free will because you delight in it, then there is actually no benefit in you doing this. It can be harmful. Wow, that is eye-opening because God not only says to rest, but he also provides an atmosphere with his character, with his personality, for us to rest in his love. Am I on the right track saying that? Yes, this is exactly the point. We're coming apart. This is a time for relationship, relationship with families, relationship with friends, relationship with God. But it's, a, it's something we have to enter into because love cannot be commanded. You can't go to somebody in relationship and say, hey, I've passed a law that you must love me, and if you don't love me, then I'm going to you know, punish you you and put pain upon you, because the more pain I put upon you, I know you'll love me more. See, that just never works. And the Sabbath is a day for relationships, so it cannot be a day of authoritarian enforcement, because that destroys or breaks the bonds of relationship. It is simply an invitation each week to say, hey, if you come in time and spend with me, you're going to grow in your own personal health, your mental health, your wisdom, your discernment, your love, and all these other blessings will flow as you become a healthier person. All right, let's wrap this up. We have 60 seconds. Dr. Jennings, what one thing would you like to tell my listeners that they can start doing right now, this moment, that'll assure them a good night rest tonight? The one thing each person has to do is step back and evaluate their circumstances and establish a structure or routines for themselves, identify the elements that they know already are interfering with sleep, and remove them. Just one that popped into my head as we're talking, a lot of people are watching TV or playing on their digital devices right up to the time they go to sleep, and that can actually interfere with sleep. So if they are having trouble sleeping, then they really want to just do an inventory of the things that they already know could be interfering and then set some good structure for themselves. Comeandreason.com is the website. And listener, until next time, this is Charles Mills along with Dr. Tim Jennings wishing you God's presence in your life. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you for spending time with us today. To continue the journey, I urge you to visit comeandreason.com. Here you'll find many excellent resources to help you gain a deeper understanding of the God we all love and serve. That's at comeandreason.com. This is Charles Mills, along with Dr. Tim Jennings, inviting you to join us the next time we come and reason together.